Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Welcome back for season three of the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. This is Joe, and I wanted to share some updates and news as we head into this new season. This is my last full episode that I'll be uh, hosting with you. You're still going to hear a few interviews from me along the way, but I'm actually stepping away from AWS for an exciting new opportunity. And in doing so, I wanted to take a point of privilege for having been an early host on this show to thank everyone who's made this possible. So certainly our guests, the wonderful folks who've taken the time and to come and be on the show, everyone at AWS who's helped support this effort, and especially our listeners who tune in and have welcomed me and the show into your headphones and your feeds for the last few years. It's been a privilege and a pleasure, and and I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Joe, congratulations on your new role. I feel we're definitely at the point of the conversation where if this was a live session, the cries and the oohs and the ahs from the audience would be audible because we're frankly all very sad to be seeing you go. Joe very kindly is leaving us with a few incredible interviews in the queue, and so you will be hearing from him still on this feed. But you'll recall that when we closed out season two that a priority for us is to diversify the perspectives and the stories that we feature on the show. In that same vein, you'll hear me open up each episode with a short summary of who we'll be hearing from, but I actually won't be leading all the interviews. Joe will be leading a few, I'll be leading some, but we're actually going to be welcoming a wide range of hosts from within AWS to interview startups and investors that are focusing on advancing healthcare and life science innovation. So, I couldn't be more excited for the new format. We've got an incredible slate of guests coming up. And in fact, today we'll be hearing from Heather Fernandez, CEO and co-founder of Solve Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. To start off, can you tell us a bit about Solve and and what you all do? Absolutely. Um, I might start with our purpose. Perfect. At Solve, what we do is we are focused on eliminating the stress around everyday healthcare. And when you say something like that, probably lots of startups come to mind. Around when we started, when we launched in 2017, there are a bunch of companies, probably who had a similar purpose. For the most part, they ended in two, one of two categories. They were either trying to rebuild a more tech doctor's office, rebuild healthcare from the ground up. So that trend probably started with One Medical, and you've seen a number of new entrants, really interesting, vertically integrated, however, quite expensive to scale. Mm. On the other hand, you saw a number of companies who had a more direct-to-consumer model, which was, let me acquire a consumer through paid marketing, let me do an async script and deliver a prescription to their home, and I'll do that and I'll expand to other services over time. We looked at the landscape uh, right prior to Solve. I, I was part of the founding team of a company called Trulia, which was a marketplace in the real estate space. We looked at the landscape and we thought, can you use software to unlock the latent capacity that exists across the country. Can you use software? was a question. We weren't sure if you could or not. Right. And we thought, like at Trulia, can we also build a consumer experience to help consumers answer some simple questions? Where should I go for the problem I have? Might be my couch, might be a clinic. When can I be seen? A real-time bookability. And how much does it cost me? So boring, so simple, so hard to do in healthcare. And our approach to doing that was actually let's build software for the provider side. We thought of it as the supply side of the market. 
that right. helped unlock that latent capacity that in our observation was hidden within these really tall walls and these systems called the electronic health record. The capacity existed if we could only unlock it. And so at Solve Health, like I said, our purpose is to eliminate the stress of everyday healthcare. What we've built is a marketplace, is how we think about it, where we have sold software to providers who are looking to provide a more consumer-centric service approach around access, quality, cost transparency. And we've done that by integrating with those EHRs. And we've built a consumer app that enables people to answer not all of those questions, but we continue to work on it. And then one last data point on this. Today, 180 million consumers are within five miles of a bookable same-day appointment on Solve today. Wow. That's great. It gets at a lot of the early things that I like to explore on the podcast, but I'd love to take one piece of that and pull it out, which is your own background, because sure. you're uniquely positioned to go after that unlockable capacity that exists in the system. So how did you come to try to solve this really challenging problem? Well, you know, prior to Solve, I spent nearly a decade at Trulia. I was employee number 12. Um, what we were trying to do at Trulia was help consumers make better decisions in real estate. In that group of 12, I think we had two homeowners in the room. <laughs> we were based, in, <laughs> based right. in San Francisco, but with a belief that given all of the changes of the internet, there's got to be a better way than driving to a broker's office and having them you know, shut, give you some piece of the paper where they've circled with a red marker the homes that they thought you should go and see. Right. And the approach at that company, and I'll just spend one beat on it because it's relevant to our journey mm -hmm. at Solve, was let's aggregate all of the information and capacity, if you will, mm -hmm. on the supply side. In that case, it was homes and home listings. And let's create a consumer-centric experience that enables consumers to figure out, can I afford a home? You know, what are the homes like in this neighborhood? Right. Enable them to dream. We learned so much. From building that company over a decade, we ended up going public and then selling to Zillow in 2015 for two and a half billion dollars. But what that taught me was there are innovators in every category, in this case, real estate, who would be willing to adopt software because they see that the world is changing. Right. Right. And they want to deliver the experience, sure, out of the goodness of their hearts and because they know that they must right? In order to compete in the new world. And so at the end of that journey, I was definitely ready to go get my big girl job. <laughs> my mom was so excited for me to get a job <laughs> at a company that she knew the name of. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I didn't do that. You know, my, my co-founder at Solve was truly a CTO. We'd worked together for that decade. And we thought, is there a similar approach that we can take in healthcare to really partner with the innovators, build software that enables them to deliver high quality service in a more consumer centric way and build this consumer experience to aggregate millions of consumers and help them in their everyday healthcare. Hmm. And so there's a lot I learned from that experience. There's a lot that's different, of course, because healthcare is infinitely more complex. American healthcare is infinitely more complex than real estate. But the learnings, you know, so much of what we did was informed by our experiences at Trulia. Amazing. Yeah. And did you know with so much Trulia DNA 
coming in to solve, it sounds like. Yeah. Did you feel like that was just a natural progression? Did you go and whiteboard it and say, what are other tough to get into aggregatable markets, things like that? Oh, you know, Joe, we, I had three kids while I was at Trulia. <laughs> I became a consumer of the healthcare system in right. a meaningfully different way. Right. There are a number of companies getting funded at around that time that I just thought were nonsense. <laughs> and so the combination of my own personal journey as well as recognizing that I had the opportunity to work on something that really matters in this country. And actually at the very beginning, we didn't have an idea, but we were very focused on two categories and that was mostly education and healthcare. Right. And within probably the first month of committing to try and figure out if there was a company to build, all we could talk about was healthcare. We had a shared document in Evernote at the time, loved Evernote back then. And you know, we, we just, the, the, they were full of CDC information, interviews right. we were having with ER docs, anyone who would talk to us as we were trying to figure out, is there something for us to do? Now, entering a new industry is hard. Uh, I'm not a stranger to it. I've done it quite a lot in my career. But we did look at this and think, we have to come with some superpower, some advantage, because we are not longtime healthcare people. And for us, we have been builders and students of marketplaces for the bulk of our careers. And so we thought, is there a marketplace like company to build? And where would you start and what would that look like? Well, it's it seems like a natural progression now, but you know, that's all in retrospect, right? Like truly it right. makes perfect sense now, but it probably didn't when you all were sitting down to look at it and starting to think, could this even work? It's you know no different than travel or banking or any other space that has been transformed like that. I heard another founder say this actually, and I loved it. He said, remember when people used to talk about digital banking as a thing that was entirely different than banking itself? And who goes into the bank today? My mom does. She's great. She's 78. She'd be very angry if I said that. Out. She knew I said that out loud on the podcast, but she'll never listen to this, so she'll never know. <laughs> and she goes to the bank once a week, and digital banking is no longer a separate thing. Right. Right. It is part of how we operate. And I think healthcare is very much evolving in the same direction. And on that note, the gap between what's happening on the consumer side and what's happening in healthcare technology is shrinking, but it's not right. there yet. How much of that dynamic are you all tapping into at Solve? I think one of the benefits, Joe, of not, there are many disadvantages of not coming from healthcare. Let me start with that because it is helpful to have relationships. It is helpful to know what has worked and not worked in the past. And it is helpful to understand the nuance of all of the major players. And that comes from a longitudinal experience in the category. However, having not come from healthcare, we were able to look at things, frankly, just differently, right? And so, for example, when we started Solve, we did a very basic two-by-two two of the billion ambulatory visits per year because we thought we don't want to build a doctor directory. That was sort of a last generation's version of what a marketplace was. We wanted to figure out what is one, what are the trends that are happening and we identified the, the top right quadrant of this two by two, you know, where we were looking at fidelity to a provider on the y-axis right. and frequency of occurrence per year 
on the x-axis. And so this will be a very fun talk one day, Joe, when we're in person, but <laughs> stick with me on my top right quadrant. I'm there. There's a I'm category there. called convenient care, which as a mom of three kids, I was in mm-hmm. and out of urgent care and my pediatrician. It was part of my own care continuum. What I did not realize is that was the case for hundreds of millions of Americans. Right. And I thought, we thought to ourselves, why isn't anyone talking about this? There's this very consumer-centric part of healthcare that is growing in numbers as a response to the lack of access, to being more consumer-centric, open after hours and on weekends, connecting within your to your primary care, or to your system, and nobody was talking about it. And of course, the reason why is because it's looked at as transactional mm-hmm. and that dollar per visit is so much lower. But the way we looked at it was this is an entry point to how consumers are engaging in their everyday healthcare. And it, it seems so obvious that more and more, we were no longer going to have the Norman Rockwell photographs of the one physician and one patient. In theory, it would be great but the macro trends are not moving in that direction. And instead, there would be a differentiation that exists depending on your health, your age, what is the type of care occurrence, and that urgent care was and and continues to be sort of the the tip of the spear in terms of offering those services. I mean, I didn't realize how right we would be. Just look at the landscape today across mental health, across sexual health, across so many new, so many categories we weren't even thinking of at the time, but we did see this top right quadrant were innovators. And when you think about how do you build a consumer centric marketplace, you start with the innovators and that's where you build. And that's what we've done for the past seven years. Not having a deep healthcare background in advance of this, mm-hmm. how did you think about that early team? What did you hire for? What kind of gaps and additional skills were you looking for? Well, the most important thing I think when you're hiring an early team are athletes and believers. And so that's regardless of category. Now, of course, in those early days, we ended up looking for folks who had spent some time and had their fair share of bruises and experiences in the healthcare space. You know, um, incredible people like Malay Gandhi, who was CEO of Rock Health, was our first investor and advisor early on great story here. Initially was like, guys, this is too hard. Go do, <laughs> go do consumer tech things. <laughs> but my co-founder, Daniele Frenetti and I persisted and kept coming back. And you know, he was incredible and continues to be an incredible advisor to us. People who'd worked in the early stages of the cast lights and the doctors on demand mm-hmm. who were, who were, be- they were believers and innovators across how do you create an experience that should exist versus how do I extract more money out of this broken system that currently exists? And so we did that, you know, across pra- practitioners. I had a group of early advisors in our launch city of Dallas who I would go and meet with just to ask for help and advice every step of the way. And you, we, we did that and we continue to do that through the journey. Why Dallas? Interesting you ask. We actually got some great advice from... Um, you know, the, the lead of our Series A was a guy named Bill Gurley from Benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, happens to have quite a lot of experience with marketplaces. And we were geared up to start in the Bay Area. Because, of course, you want a dog food. You want to be able to right. see the customer, talk to the patients live and in person. And he gave us some great advice, which was, 
when you are seeding a mark, a marketplace, when you're trying to figure out the dynamics that will accelerate you, you want to select a geography that has the highest likelihood of success because you can learn faster. A second point that I would add to that is you would you want to start in a geography that isn't so unique that you mm. can learn and apply those learnings to the next geography or geographies as you grow. And so when you think about California or the Bay Area specifically, one, we are not a great representative of the rest of the country when it comes to our payer mix, right? Heavy HMO or mm -hmm. how employers, commercial payers think about their, their healthcare offerings. And two, we were looking for on the consumer side, consumers who were already taking more of their healthcare decisions into their own hands. And our observation was that meant they started earlier on in the cycle on high deductible health plans. So, and then number three, we were looking for on the supply side, on the provider side, diversity. Right. We wanted there to be lots of players because if there's only one big player in the market, the likelihood of them innovating themselves out <laughs> of whatever advantage they have at low. that moment yeah. is low. Yeah. It's low. And then and then I have a fourth criteria, if I may add. I knew that I'd be on a plane a lot. And so I drew a three hour <laughs> flight radius out of San Francisco. Right. Because flying, you know, to the northeast, though I would do that in later years, was not I wasn't going to be there every week at the start of the company. And so Dallas on the really consumers leading the way, asking questions that you were not hearing in the Bay Area, how much is this going to cost mm -hmm. with my insurance? Is there a cash price for this? Right? How how far am I against my deductible? Questions that in 2017 you weren't hearing quite as often. And then again on the supply side, provider side, you had large hospital systems, you had independent practitioners, all of whom were really trying to figure out how do we deliver an experience that enables me to have those patients in my doors. Yeah, I love that. That's a and and I was thinking in terms of the provider mix large mm -hmm. hospitals, That's right. uh, uh, reputable places, great, great clinical care, but That's also right. not under appreciating the role of communities and the way care is delivered in the vast majority of cases, independent pediatricians and That's primary right. care docs and things like that, that feels a lot more like the way most people get their healthcare and you need That's to right. tap into that kind of market. And I'm from Ohio and uh, Cincinnati, Columbus as well, where I'm from, but also Cincinnati is the kind of place where you get that interesting mix of large Fortune 500 companies, a lot of them, um, yeah. academic medical centers, hospitals. And in reality, yeah, I know you've spent some time in politics. There's a reason that those places look and feel like a lot of the rest of the country for polling and bellwethers and things like that. That's right. The same is true on the business side, and particularly right. a city like Dallas for healthcare, as you talk about it is probably a really great, there's so many suburban, urban mixed markets that you can tap right. into in that kind of that kind of model. That's right. We learned so much so fast. I mean, going back to Trulia, if I may, right? We similarly, we tried to understand markets. And as we were looking at New York City, as an example, and trying to make some investments around New York City, it became very obvious to the team that the decision was, are we investing in New York City or not? Because all of these product investments all of these go-to-market investments for New York City would not translate across the rest of the country. Right. <laughs> and so in the Trulia world, we ultimately did make that decision. But later on, 
in our journey. So, you know, we, one of many learnings that we took from them to now. And what's the business model for Solve? Who's, who's paying? And, you know, I know you have a, marketplaces can have many different dynamics, but how does it, how does it work for you all? That's right. You can think of us as a SaaS enabled marketplace. So providers, we're a B2B monetization where they're paying for our core software suite, which is online booking, wait time management, SMS-based communications, um, telehealth, all integrated, or we've built robotic process automations, RPAs, to their EHR, where that real capacity resides. And as I started off this podcast, the objective is to try and unlock that capacity to the hundreds of millions of Americans who are seeking care. And so the business model is provider SaaS. What was your initial thesis? I know like the the core philosophy of it, but what was yep. the initial product piece that came out of that? And then as a follow-up, how quickly did you add or did you start with all those other capabilities for the for your core yes. customer there? Yes, this is a great question. Um, it's important to note, we never thought we would be replacing an EHR, mm. right? And so we are EHR agnostic. And I got some great vi- advice from um, Ed Park, mm-hmm. who is the CEO of Devoted, but previously the co-founder of Athena. And I remember going on a hike with him and saying, like, how are we going to build Solve? Right? The EHRs are building all of these features, which are not good, <laughs> but ultimately- <laughs> But exist, are, but exist. But yeah. exist. And the momentum is in favor of whatever feature that's coming out of your EHR. And he had some great advice. He said, you are coming in at the right time. So the secular trend is they will focus more and more of the core of what they do, which is enabling efficient billing of that system, health system, individual clinical office, and they have to focus on that. And they will be forced to integrate. They will be forced by regulation. Mm -hmm. They will be forced by their consumers and customers, and they will be forced by their own ecosystem. And so build the capabilities to integrate or the RPAs, and that will serve you over the long haul. I probably didn't take his advice as quickly as I should have, <laughs> because when you're 10 people in a room, right. you think, how am I going to allocate even more resources to this integrations or working within the ecosystem? But the reality is it's the tax of working in healthcare. It is a tax. Right. And so you do have to make that investment. Okay. So back to your question is we started with, <laughs> we ran a consumer survey, not a fancy one where you pay lots of money, just a survey monkey. <laughs> and we asked consumers, which by the way, is a great tool for startups because mm-hmm. you can get pretty broad reach and get some confirmation of things that you're thinking through. What is the biggest innovation that you want in healthcare? What would be transformative to your life? And what was the answer to that question? Was it like VR? <laughs> was it like chatbots? Was it a device in my home? Right. <laughs> no, it was easy online booking. Mm-hmm. And we thought like, this can't be true. <laughs> having come from Trulia, having right. worked in consumer, this can't be true. It's clearly much more complex than we realize. And so we started with a very simple product which initially ran side by side to the EHR, but very quickly became deeply either integrated or with automations built, recognizing that that workflow was so important. And as we've grown our feature set, one, we think, can the EHR do it? Is is there a reason why it makes more sense for the EHR to do it than us is one thing that we think about. And how do we better work with the EHRs within this ecosystem? 
And so when we think about enabling things like SMS communication, you know, we have a marketing product because now 3 million consumers per month are coming organically to solvehealth.com looking for care, right? And so we can connect those consumers with high quality care across the network. And so we've invested in that product as a way to engage with consumers and provide real value to the providers who are using our software. You know, working on things like our payments product, um, where providers can accept that payment in advance of service, potentially, and innovating around that. And so that's how we think about our overall growth of the software is, frankly, how do we unlock more capacity that exists, make it visible to consumers, and then drive real ROI, not just to the consumer, who's critically important and our North Star, but also to the provider side of our network, because a successful, robust, innovating provider side of our network is essential for us to fulfill our mission. And then how do you decide what's the next layer out? Do you partner? Do you resurvey? Like what's the, what is the, when you feel like you've, you're tackling that piece and integrating and, and dovetailing the right way with the existing systems? How do you, how do you figure out where to go next? Well, I say a couple things. One, it's great to have customers because they'll tell you all the time <laughs> what they want. Right. Um, and so obviously listening to our customers and, you know, the customers that we work with at Solve are innovators. And so they are, you know, urgent care organizations who are now offering a hybrid urgent care primary care, right? They're in expanding services into primary care and mental health, as an example. You know, there are providers who are looking to increase the convenience for their patient population. Right. And then, of course, saying to us, how do we, how do I do that? and actually get paid for it. And so we sit down and talk through the problems that our customers have as we think about what to add to the platform. But the other thing that we do, Joe, is you know we are in an incredible moment in healthcare. And I, you notice I didn't say digital health, <laughs> right? We're an incredible moment right. where you've got Amazon on the one hand, and you've got Walgreens and CVS making incredible moves. You've got all of the large payers trying to figure out how do we increase access across the country? How do we improve outcomes and reduce cost? We've all heard it a million times. And so being a part of that ecosystem also unlocks opportunities and partnerships for us. So one example is something we actually announced last week, which was the Solve Final Mile API program. What became very obvious to us was there are digital innovator innovators of all stripes. Right, We announced this partnership with Included Health, was very focused on you know, virtual primary care and a connected care journey for their 10 million members. We've talked to entrepreneurs and large companies that we haven't announced, focused on specific mm. condition states or specific populations. And what we're hearing universally is 5 to 15% of the time, if they're starting with a digital first experience, they need some connection to in-person care. Right. Well, at Solve, we've actually built the largest network of same-day, next-day care in the country, where today, if you're starting with a virtual primary care visit and you need an EKG or hands on the patient for some reason, the answer to that or the, the call to action for that patient is call your doctor. And what are they going to do? Maybe they'll call their doctor. Maybe they'll go to the ED. Maybe they'll do nothing at all. And 
enabling more providers or groups to access Saul's final mile API means that patient, I can actually now say, hey, are you available at 1030 this morning? I can actually book you that appointment and close that loop. And so I'm, our innovation comes from how do we serve our customers? How do we serve the consumer and really deliver the healthcare experience that has been talked about for the last few decades to really try and drive some real change in the system? What's been the biggest evolution in your customer base since you founded the company? I think the biggest evolution has been a recognition of how critical they are. I was actually at JP Morgan this year. And it was it's astonishing when I think about my first year at Solve versus today. And really thinking around convenient care as a part, an important part of the care continuum, right? You had CVS making their investment in carbon health, an urgent care chain. You had um you also had the acquisition of Walgreens of Summit mm-hmm. with City MD, right? You had Go Health presenting, Go Health Urgent Care presenting at JPM. Whereas when we started, I think there was a real belief, or maybe more of a my perception is more of a dismissal. It has now become very clear to all of the mega players in the ecosystem that consumer behavior is requiring a shift to one that is more consumer centric than the mega powers had believed necessary previously. And that shift has been incredible. Heather, as we close out here, I always like to leave our listeners, particularly the entrepreneurs and and budding entrepreneurs out there with a piece of advice. And um, for you in particular, I'd love to hear with your extensive experience on the consumer side and real estate coming into Solve and now bringing that to Solve. What do you wish you'd known before tackling healthcare as the next stage? This is a bit of a hard one because like, I wish I knew it all. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything. Um, however, had I known it all, probably wouldn't have started Saul. I knew this, but now I'm living it. And so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say everything in healthcare takes longer mm. than in my experience, other industries. And setting up the right team who is focused on the mission, who has the fortitude to persist through that, as well as surrounding yourself with the right advisors or or members of the team who have the experience plus the belief of what's possible, I just think are critically important. Maybe those two. Know that it takes a long time. Have the right people on your team. Perfect. Heather Fernandez, CEO and co-founder of Solve Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. The best way to support the podcast is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have ideas on how we can improve the show, please do let us know. Our feedback survey is in the show notes. See you next week when we'll be hearing from Kurt Medeiros and Barry Wark from Ovation, who is on a mission to advance human health by enabling the use of molecular and human genomic data at scale and research. See you soon.